Welcome everyone to the podcast on a couch. I'm your mystical dungeon master, Bran, and I am joined today by our rogue, Kevin. Hello. And we are also joined by our toaster wizard, Geo. And I'm also joined by our armsman, Gene. Uh, uh, Bran, didn't, didn't you huh? hear? They're, they're celebrating their 50th wedding, wedding anniversary right now. They're, they're not going to be here. It's just you and me. Wait, wait. I thought they were on the couch. No. Wait, no. Why aren't they on the couch? We're supposed to do this together. This no, is a hey, group hey, thing. No, just, just it's okay. We're, no. We can have something. No, I. We, can we have can't do it without Gene. We gotta do it with Gene. Why would they not invite me? Right, well, welcome everybody to our mystical, daring, and dangerous couch. Now that we've uh, changed Bran's uh, diaper and he's ready to go, we hey. can get started with... Kevin! Oh, God, uh, I'm so sorry. Um, their diaper. That's right. Sorry, I, uh, I get a little, um, get a little grumpy when I am uh, floating around in there with my uh, diaper being so full, so... I apologize. I lost character, so... We changed it. We gave you a Snickers. Okay, we took a few breaths. We're ready to go. Yep. Yep. Uh, anyway. I am happy as can be. I'm happy as a clam. We love clams here, I think. Anyway, I'm your host and resident dungeon master, Kevin, and I'm joined today by my one and only unlucky player, Bran. Hi. As I'm going to see if they can roll the necessary wisdom saving throw to survive this dastardly dungeon that is our podcast. Today's topic is a personal passion and addiction of mine, tabletop role-playing games. It really is an addiction for you, though. It seems like your schedule is always filled with some kind of tabletop-related activity, and then the podcast, and maybe a game of chivalry. Do you, do you actually want to know how many games I'm in, both as a DM and a player? I'm a little scared to ask, but go ahead and uh, lay out the facts for us, my friend. Six. And it's a very specific schedule. Wait, Every what Friday. the fuck? Hold on. You're talking about six different campaigns? Yes. Uh, three of which I run. <laughs> Wait. Oh, Jesus Christ. You... Now, here. I can tell are you exactly you, you like how it goes. Are you a functioning insane person? Oh, I... I I okay. start hold on, I start losing my shit over one really long game. <laughs> so let, let me let me explain. All right, I'm going to go over my schedule and then I will explain to you how this actually works. Okay. So every Friday I am a player. Every Sunday I am a DM. And alternating Tuesdays I'm either a player or a DM. Now how this works is I have severe unmedicated ADHD. And so what this means is my brain is constantly turning. And so I need little things to keep my mind occupied. And a great thing is thinking about, you know, uh, either planning for a tabletop game or thinking of things I want to do as a player, so on, so on. It keeps me focused. It keeps me going. And frankly, it's just fucking fun. So when you say that, I have to ask then, are you thinking about story-related things for your tabletop games, or are you thinking, and I'm not saying the ones that you just DM, I'm talking about at all, general. Um, 
Are you just thinking about like story things and and uh, stuff along that like soft line, or are you kind of like sitting there crunching numbers and figuring out ways to best like min max classes and stuff like that? Generally, it's story stuff. Um, okay. I will admit I'm a bit of a number cruncher, but that's not what I'm thinking of in my day-to-day. That's what I'm thinking of when I'm leveling up or creating a boss. Um, now, I, I want to be clear. As a DM, I'm not the type who likes to punish their players. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> I want to make things challenging, but at the end of the day, yeah. my goal is always I want to tell a good story, and I can't tell a good story if everybody's fucking dead. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And what the general rule that I have heard and I have personally taken to heart with like my romps into tabletop and tabletop like scenarios is you should as much as possible tell your players yes or maybe or let things be up to chance, but try to reduce the amount of times that you tell your players no as much as possible. Yeah, the only time I really say no is if it's something that's just completely beyond the realm of believability. Right. Like, if the dwarf barbarian says, you know, can I roll to see if I can flap my arms really hard and start flying? No, (laughs) no, you can't. And that's a, it's a half joke. I've had players half jokingly say stuff like that. Generally, you know, I I tend to run with very roleplay heavy people, so usually those kinds of things aren't issues usually they take it pretty seriously yeah but i've had had people be like you know if i get a really high you know athletics check can i leap across this 30 foot you know ravine at level four and it's like "Mm, no (laughs) yeah that's not very believable now you know again context is key for a lot of that kind of stuff too and for me like I I feel like I've mostly been a DM for my tabletop scenarios more than I have been a player. So I there are occasional times where I catch myself being just like I what do I do to put myself in the player's place to make this experience a lot better for them? And generally I do the same thing too. I'm like if it's within reason, yeah, if not or if it's on the eh, and then roll for it. And otherwise, otherwise, just I'll tell them no. That's that's dumb. And yeah, I guess why what we should kind of lay out here too is like our familiarity with tabletop games as well. So for me, I started playing back in I'd say 2014. Yeah. I started playing back in 2014 with the actual, like, pen and paper, actual tabletop stuff. And we had a friend in college that made our first tabletop experience a game called Hackmaster. And Hackmaster is supposed to be pretty punishing just by nature. It's not necessarily in the DM's uh, uh, purview to do that. It's just the structure of the game. Kind of the point of it is to be ridiculous. And then once we got a little bit more into it and I got some interest in it, that's when I picked up Pathfinder Core Rules. And I ran a Pathfinder game, and I tried to participate in the Pathfinder game as a player shortly after that. But, as I'm sure you're well aware, Kevin, um, tabletop games is a special kind of scheduling hell. (laughs) Trying to get people together for that is... 
oh my god and it still makes me want to pull my hair out even today for even oh, the for lighter sure. stuff so that's my experience and my history with tabletop games yeah mine um so i actually just looked it up because you see i never got started with the actual pen and paper version um I, I've always been on the internet, I've always had online friends, and so mm. I got started through Roll20, um, which is, uh. for those who don't know it, which, I, wow, um, assuming, I mean, let me rephrase that. For those who God, don't know it idiot. as a table, stupid a idiot doesn't know what fan, t- Roll20 is. <laughs> well, those who don't know it as a tabletop fan, that's, that's a little surprising, because it's kind of the, it was, it, it's, the times are changing, but it was the go-to um tabletop tool online tabletop tool really it has competitors now yes uh oh. it has a couple the big one is foundry which a lot of people like i have some issues with it not i don't have enough to really like give arguments for or against though um i just prefer roll 20 because it's what i've known for so long mm-hmm. it's what i'm comfortable with and actually on that note i just looked up my roll 20 account because it tells you when you started Oh. Um, you know, we're, we're recording this on a Saturday, uh, the 17th for reference, because this is important. Tomorrow is going to be my nine year anniversary of playing oh. tabletop games. Holy shit. <laughs> um, and by the way, it also tells me how many hours I've played. Um, do you want to know this number? All right. Lay it out there. I, I just, I want you to guess. I don't know, over 9,000 hours? Not quite. Uh, 7,321 hours. I'm kind of mad that I'm so close. That You know, like <laughs> it is a difference of a couple thousand, but at the same time, in the grand scheme of things, that is pretty damn close. Um, yeah. I just, as a little kid, you know, I always loved to do these make-believe games, and I would have all of the other kids in my grade participating uh, so basically, I didn't know it, but as a little kid, I was a dungeon master before I even knew what D&D was. Mm. And the funny thing is, growing up, I was always like, ooh, you know, D&D tabletop games, that's nerd shit, I don't play that. And then, like, I finally sat down and did it, because one of my buddies, uh, encouraged it, and said he would run a game for me. And it was Pathfinder, Wrath of the Righteous, um, and I was hooked. That was it. It was over. Really? So so you actually were pretty against doing Dungeons and Dragons. I so for me, I never thought of it as like geeks kind of thing. I thought of it more of just like, hey, that's a pretty cool thing, but I don't fucking know anybody that has the patience to sit down and do that kind of thing. All my friends that I had growing up just wanted to plant their asses in front of Xbox or PlayStation and just game, which fine that's fine there's nothing wrong with that and i didn't really have anybody that uh decried it either it's just it didn't really just seem like an option for me and then finally i met people once i made a new group of friends whenever i was in college that were into it i'm like yeah i'm totally game for it i i've always been kind of curious about it it's just it seems like a lot and guess what it is a lot (laughs) oh yeah it is but that's actually what i enjoy um i mean (sighs) i don't do it I, I don't like min max or anything, but every now and then, just for fun, I will start like theory crafting something, mm. not with the intent of being broken, but just like, could I make this happen? Like, yeah. I recently made a character through Pathfinder um, who casts spells through punching, and 
I had since learned that this was actually a subclass of one of the classes that would have made it a lot easier to just do that, but I didn't know that at the time. I was just like, can I make a viable, basically, monk spellcaster? Mm-hmm. And I did, and it was insane, and I have since buried it in the same place that Indiana Jones buries his dangerous artifacts, never to be touched again, because that's just it. You know, while I like theorycrafting these stuff, this stuff, and that is the fun for it for me, to a degree... I also know that if I ever brought that out to a game, it would be boring as fuck. Because I would just curb stomp everything, or alternatively, I would outshine all the players and the DM would have to come up with these insane things to challenge me, and that's not what I want. You know, well, I, Kevin, I don't want to be this you should, super powerful. You should you know? feel bad for playing a monk, because every monk that I've ever encountered in a tabletop game, however limited, actual Pathfinder or Dungeons & Dragons uh, tabletop I've been in, has been stupidly broken and usually run by somebody who's theory crafted some gobbledygook together. And, you know, they're, they're more in it for just, I want to make a character that's so fucking overpowered and I don't care about the experience. I just want to be the star and I'm going to fucking <laughs> crit everything. I'm going to crit my pants. And I'm just like, you're a fucking dork and I'm not having fun. So why are you here? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I have actually only played a monk one time, and it was my first time playing 5e. Mm. And, you know, Pathfinder to 5e, it's not a huge jump, but it, there is still a noticeable difference. And that's something we can get into later, because I do have opinions on that. Mm-hmm. Um, short version, overall, I prefer Pathfinder, but mm-hmm. I don't have anything against 5e. Anyway, though. And so I made a monk, and it's just because I had a character concept and monk fit the best. And I ended up rolling really high on my stats. I had two 18s. It was insane. And, uh... Holy shit. I, yeah, <laughs> no. So I had, like, an 18 dex and an 18 wisdom, and it was scary. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus um, It was scary. Yeah, as, as somebody who understands wow. that, you know how broken that is for a monk. And so I ruined everything. And the DM later told me, they were like, you were the most annoying player I had. And they go, I don't blame you. I, I was there for your roles. I saw them. And they go, but good God, you were outdoing the paladin. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, so they were like, I couldn't hit you. <laughs> well, and so it's like, so you're talking about making characters and everything. And um, I have only made like a handful of characters for a pen and paper uh tabletop game i have only made a uh let's see in Hackmaster, i had a half orc that died and then i made a druid and then that was very short-lived and just because the game kind of fell apart and then uh-huh. after that the next chance that i had to make a character was i made a um, the Pathfinder version was a gear-forged fighter, and I made him really, really tanky on purpose. And I put him in, like, plate armor and stuff, but, like, the roleplay of it is, like, you know, his body was, like, the plating and everything. So Yeah. We had a really cool thing about that. They uh, nicknamed my character Thomas the Tank Engine. Um, because choo-choo, I would charge into people with my fucking tower shield. (laughs) And actually, my character did do a check to, like, break down a weakened wall, 
And even though I lost one HP for doing that, so fucking worth it. <laughs> and then finally, um, this is where we start getting into like the wishy-washy weird territory. I tried to remake that character again as a Warforged Eldritch Knight. Um, that only lasted one session. And then um, I did a slightly longer game with a homebrew version of, I think it was like some offshoot of Warhammer Horus Heresy, which, like, the person used as, like, the foundation for their homebrew, but was a sci-fi thing, and I made my character, like, a tech priest. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and we also had Gundams that we piloted, so. <laughs> oh. It was fun. It was cool while it lasted, and then that one kind of fell through, and... Okay, now kind of laying everything out on the table, no no pun intended, my um, my pen and paper tabletop history is very just like, I don't know, it's like a bunch of weird fireworks where like it, 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 it sparkles and it fizzles out really quickly. I haven't mm-hmm. ever really been in for like Pathfinder or D&D in a long-term game with a, gr- with a solid group of people for more than... I, I think that one with the that Horus Heresy homebrew or whatever lasted for something like six months of us regular regularly doing it, and then um, a bunch of drama happened and that group fell apart. So oh, that's a shame. Yeah, and then ever since then, I, and I'm not I'm not saying this to like poo poo on uh, tabletop in general. It's just. I'm tired. (laughs) I'm so fucking tired of trying to, like, find groups for this. And the amount of work and effort that I've had to put in multiple times to try and get involved and participate in these things only to have them fall apart so easily has really kind of turned me off with it. And that is, unfortunately, one of the evils with... Um, tabletop games in general is that you have to have the the group that will be able to do it. Otherwise, you you might as well just be like making doing theory craft by yourself. I feel like, um, and that's part of the reason why lately I've gotten more into Warhammer as a result of like finding pandemic hobbies. Um, Warhammer, even though it's you know you're fighting armies and little plastic soldiers on a tabletop and not doing like characters exploring a dungeon, um, just the fact that I only need one other person in order to play in any capacity is plenty for me with kind of my network of people that I have right now. Yeah. Well, so. shoot. Next time I have an opening, I'll have to reach out to you. Because uh, I have, like, a core group of players that will always participate in my games that I run, like, two or three games with. <laughs> now, when you... So, I've heard you say offline whenever, you know, you and I just chit-chat off podcast and stuff. Isn't one of the games that you're running, like, a Mass Effect homebrew? Yes, it is. Um, oh, my God. It is... Uh, one that is set in between Mass Effect 1 and 2. Uh, I dug into the lore and found an actual ship to give them. Um, and, you know, like, that's just it. That's that's how I do it. Like, I'm constantly digging into the lore. I'm like, what little nuggets can I find? And, like, so I found a ship that, you know, for Mass Effect lore nerds, um, the SSV Alamo, that basically near the end of Mass Effect 1, it gets mothballed. Nothing else is done within the lore ever again. Mm. And I was like, cool 
dibs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how so, some of that stuff goes. I, I have done that kind of that very thing multiple times throughout my uh, history of playing um, Star Wars: The Old Republic. Uh, well, I I got heavier into Warcraft roleplay whenever um, I was kind of at the end of my tenure in that game. Like, I will do the exact same thing, though. I will find, like, one little lore nugget, and I'm like, yank, I'm going to do something with it. And then, unfortunately, sometimes, especially with Final Fantasy, because it's an ongoing story, there will be developments in the main story scenario where I'm just like, shit! No! <laughs> my plans! So... You actually just kind of touched on something that I find interesting. Now it was a good touch. It was a it was a consensual touch. Let me just reassure <laughs> you. It um, it, there's there's something that you know I hear some DMs argue back and forth on, and that is like you know we'll take Pathfinder for instance. Mm-hmm. Pathfinder has a wealth of lore to it. You know, does it? All I don't know. Areas. I don't know where to get it, and I think that oh, might have been my problem. Whenever I, I was a DM, um, yeah, like you can just like so. There's Pathfinder maps, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the world of Galarian, as it's called, uh, has so many different countries that all have you know different political alignments, different conflicts going on, all this kinds of stuff. There's a massive breadth of wealth there. And for a long time, I had one single Pathfinder universe that I would run multiple games in. Whoa. And so, like, events from certain games would affect others in certain ways. Like, there was one um, where the players were basically leading a rebellion against an evil empire. Um, oh, nice. For those that know Pathfinder lore, um, the Empire of Cheliax. And, Bless you. you know... Thank you. And because of this war, you know, and the inevitable um, good guys win of it, the whole economy of the region changed because what was once this lawful, evil, devil-worshipping nation was now trying to reform itself. And so, you know, exports were changing. Um, There was more banditry in the area due to the decrease in security. Um, Other nations were kind of picking on them. And so, you know, this... That, that campaign now then changed the entire political landscape of that area. And so shit like that is what intrigues me. Not necessarily the politics of it, but like how I can make the players' actions affect future games. I, so for Well, just real quick on that. That is one device that I've always liked in storytelling, both for tabletop and like um, just general media, is that idea of peace through domination. I always thought that was really cool because some people don't want to upset the peace because guess what? Things are comfortable. I know that we're living in like a fascist uh, empire or something like that, but hey, I'm safe. I, I have no bandits. There's nothing I have yeah, to worry about I, and things like that. I, I always thought that I, was I'm really just cool. a farmer. What do I care? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I don't care what they do on the capital as long as they leave me my farm. And, like, you know, I'm, I'm doing the kind of yuck voice for it. You know, I, I'm doing kind of the, the jokey yuck voice for it. But in truth, like, Garsh. why would you want to upset that? I mean, yeah. there are real-world examples of that, of people like, yeah, I know this person's evil, but what can I do? Why would yeah. I want to risk my family's life when I can just live as I do now and just let it be? Yeah, so you were saying that like you used as an you used that as an example. So 
what was it you were you were leading so, into something about how like you had you you try to give things to your players that will actually affect future games that they may participate in well yeah and so what i was saying was um you know using i did all that by using the pathfinder lore written by paizo the company that owns pathfinder mm-hmm. um and the reason why it was so easy was because they have all of that lore written out already you know, really? I can, I, I can, that's I can wiki it because... up, I can look up, like, just naming another nation, I can look up the relationships between Cheliax and Nidal, and I know instantly how the people of Nidal would react to Cheliax, you know, suddenly changing their whole worldview. And through that, now I have, not a crutch, but I have a tool that I can use, and so that's kind of, you know, people who say, like, you should homebrew everything, you should never use the mm. pre-written stuff... I think there is a place to using the pre-written stuff. Now, I'm going to I'm going to completely reverse what I just said though. I have recently started writing my own homebrew world, and there are advantages to that as well in that I've actually allowed the players to start injecting their own lore into it. Um, right. one player became really fascinated with a particular race, and they were the only one playing that race, so I started letting them write their own like customs for that race and i have since taken that i've written it down and i've adopted it and so while i don't you know sometimes they make a choice and i have to think like ah how would this nation react to that versus pathfinder where i just know because i can read the lore i now have the advantage of my players are even more involved because they feel more of an ownership of this world you know instead of me just shooting a bunch of buzzwords at them that they don't get because they don't read the wiki like a nerd like me (laughs) um they instead know you know like the forest elves react like this because these are their customs because they are the ones who decided that the forest elves react like that the dunmer hate the argonians because they use them as slaves and all that good (laughs) stuff and and, and that really uh, uh, you're kind of showing me that like whenever i was trying to be a brand new dm for pathfinder i was such a greenhorn i had no idea (laughs) that that kind of thing was available to me because my very first campaign that i ran out of pathfinder after i decided to take the reins for it is um it was like some it it was because i didn't know necessarily what the format looked like right it's like how would i even begin to do a campaign of this like this for a group and i bought one of those um like scenario books or whatever that's like supposed to like guide you and you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah so i bought one that was for like pirates and stuff and it gave me a good place to start and then I kind of started fudging more of the story together into something that we all kind of had fun with. And, um, you know, honestly, it's great. But, again, at the same time, I have been a DM much more than I ever have been a player or a participant in these kinds of stories. And that's kind of part of where my burnout comes from because somehow i always <laughs> whenever it comes to like being with people i always end up being the one that is saddled with having to take control and take the the um the reins and you do have to have that person that does that you have to have somebody that actually enjoys it i enjoy it i mean there's a reason i keep doing it and try to keep uh role playing with my final fantasy group that way there is a level of enjoyment that I get from it, but I mean, when you're doing it constantly and stuff too, you don't get a break from it. You don't get to 
like turn that part of your brain off so that you can get exposed to other parts of it where you all of a sudden are like, oh, light bulb goes off. I have an idea for something in the future, maybe. Today's episode of Podcast on the Couch is brought to you by... Hey, Kevin, what's shaking? Oh, hey, Bran. You know, I'm just trying to put something dark and mysterious together for my tabletop game, but I'll tell you, I'm just so tapped for inspiration right now. Well, perhaps you could read a new fantasy book series that's come from the self-published author, B.B. Reed. Whoa, B.B. Reed? Really? Do what you will, so long as it harms none. This is the Valpurgan Reed followed by all witches of the land. Set in the world of Moira, Helena Morris travels across the Holy Sea of Aram, seeking coin and the eldritch creatures that go bump in the night. However, her goals align with an unlikely ally within the Ministry of Nobles who has their sights set on a cell of sorcerous terrorists, the Lazarin Cult, waging a war in the dark. Helena and her companions reckon with the shadowy forces at work against them and remain ahead of the Lazarin Reach. They must gather allies from high and low, within and without the kingdom, and keep them close if they are to survive the coming storm. Books 1 and 2 of the Blood Witch Saga can be found at bit.ly slash bloodwitchsaga for Kindle and paperback editions today. Again, that is bit.ly slash bloodwitchsaga. Whoa! It even has a five-star rating. I'll have to check these out and show all my friends and family, as well as leave a positive review. Oh, okay, Bran, are, are we even now? I really need you to delete those pics. They cannot get out there. Uh, uh, oh, oh, those. Um, sure, sure. Yeah, that. Yeah, that should be enough. Thank you for listening. Back to the podcast. Um, a quick aside, I just DM'd you um, a couple examples. I sent you a map of one of the main regions of Pathfinder and actually a wiki entry for one of the nations I kept referencing. Just to kind of show you, like, not it's nothing we gotta discuss now, I'm just a fucking nerd. Um, but just so you can kind of see, like, you know, some of the examples of lore that they have. And then you can see in the wiki, it's all hyperlinked to different stuff, like... You know, hmm, Aridin, that's a weird name. Click on that. Oh, now I know all that. Um, Druma. But no, like... Malthun. Ustalov. Numeria. Wow. um, So, (laughs) for funsies here, let's see. How many of these areas have I had players visit in games? Let's say, so there's... Ustalov was my first one. Um, Then there's Varicia... There's the World Wound. Uh, they have <laughs> the World the River Wound. Kingdoms. It kind of looks like a sphincter on a map. <laughs> uh, basically, that area is where a bunch of demons broke through and conquered an entire nation. And oh, uh, so they uh, really pounded that hole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see here. What else we got? We got Mendev. I've been to Rasmirin. Uh, <laughs> Nadal, Cheliax, uh, Andorin, Talador, Absalom. Yeah, I pretty much held a game in almost every single one of these regions, which is exactly why then I started to like homebrew my own world, because mm-hmm. I could tell more stories in this single universe that I had in Pathfinder, but I'm a firm believer as a storyteller that there is a certain point where you need to close the book. You need to oh, let yeah. the heroes have their happy ending, and you just need to let it go. Because it's, 
And, and this is going to be a very brief aside, and I don't want to touch on this for long because I want to have a whole conversation about this somewhere else. But it kind of eventually becomes the World of Warcraft problem where there's always a bigger fish and you keep having to up it. And after a while, it makes the stakes mean nothing. Yeah. Well, and just from a storytelling standpoint, and I'll use the example of Final Fantasy, the superior MMO, um, <laughs> that... Uh, they actually kind of challenged that. They challenged that notion of, well, there's always a bigger fish. There's always a bigger fish. There's always a bigger bad, you know? Well, it, it actually kind of hit a critical mass in that story. I'm not going to get too deep into it. But they kind of stopped. Episode. They stopped at a point after they defeated a pretty biggish bad and said, all right, you're done. We're going to steer this boat into a different direction and instead of it being a story about fighting the bigger bad it's just a different bad it's a bad that's still yeah. bad but you gotta challenge it and it doesn't have to i mean it still has bad implications and if i say bad more this is going to mean something um <laughs> <laughs> it's just like we're gonna get this word salad somewhere come yeah, on so, so it's like you know, they, they did a good pivot, is what I'm trying to say. And the thing that I always, just as a storyteller, and yeah, I'm an author, oh my god. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I like that idea of acknowledging the fact that there are parallels. You can still laterally have challenges that appear. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, it might be something from another dimension. In which, if you're in a world of magic, that's not too far-fetched. And... With the way all these different settings are, I mean, the sky's the limit with your imagination and what you can do with it. Um, although I do like having a structured rule set because, oh my god, if you give players a chance to cheese something, they absolutely will. And that frustrates me. <laughs> it, fr it frustrates I'm you, not but it somebody feels who... so great. Uh... <laughs> See... Oh, my God. i got to decide which point I want to hit because I have two things I want to say. <laughs> Your brain's right, right, like bottlenecking. I want to go, <laughs> go back a little bit. Okay. And so and I want to talk about that lateral conflict thing. So mm -hmm. I want to talk about my homebrew world. I'm not going to get into the lore of it. That's not what this podcast is for mm -hmm. as much as I want to nerd about it because I'm proud. We can discuss that off, off the air. So yeah, you can shoot that rope later. <laughs> Sniff those farts later. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, callbacks already? What? But, uh... <laughs> um, so, I'm running two campaigns currently in my homebrew world. Um, and they are both actually happening, because I like doing this, in the same world. They've already had a brief crossover. Um, but they're totally separate stories. One is your very typical fantasy story. You know, the, the party gets together to go on the adventure to a foreign land and defeat the big bad and save the world and it's very high fantasy very typical you know that sort of thing yeah the other one however the entire campaign the entire premise of it is just that they're trying to solve a political election um of who's going to be the new emperor after the current one kicks the bucket mm. and that's it all they did was they sided with the youngest child of the emperor who they believe is the most forward-thinking and who uh can work with them the best and they're just going on a series of quests under the princess's name to try and gain support so that way the senate would have no choice but to elect her as the heir okay 
that's the entire premise. They're not off saving the world. They're not, you know, arguably, even if they lose, the world is not going to change that much. It is a monumentous task because it's a political challenge. It's a different kind of conflict. And a good DM or good storyteller will turn things into i mean you have a charisma skill for a reason right you got <laughs> yeah you got to give validation to some of the other dimensions that are present within those games and those worlds so i i totally see what you're getting at because it, i know it's a monumentous task to go and kill you know scarbrand or something like that but or in this case tethia dujmond because names are fun <laughs> I, when you said that, my brain auto-translated it to, like, Kelthier Dude Man. <laughs> <laughs> he just shows up and he's like, well, Suh. <laughs> To be fair, he is a bard, so you know, you're not far off. Wow. Wow. But anyway, so, like, that's what it is. It's like, trying to stabilize a country or try to navigate it through political turmoil is a large task. And it's something to challenge the players. So, there you mm -hmm. go. And it's great because they all decided, knowing going in what this campaign was going to be, they all picked things that would clash. And so then I had this added challenge of, okay, they knew this assignment, yeah. <laughs> they technically picked right, but now i got to think of how to make this work. And so that gave me a fun challenge as a DM of, why did the princess reach out to each one of them? And ultimately what I decided was she wanted people from all walks of life because she didn't want to just listen to the same people who would fluff her ego all day and out and run circles. But it's also had this interesting challenge of, like, one is a rebel um, who directly opposes most of what the Empire stands for, but they saw this chance to maybe change things peacefully. The other one is literally a domestic terrorist, but <laughs> the, the people they went after were all corrupt, evil people. And so, you know, they, they offer a different standpoint. The other one is literally a military officer. Oh, cool. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's just... It made this great dynamic of people from all walks of life, you know, kind of coming together there. So, and, kind of me mentally playing back what you just told me. Kevin, isn't that, like, one of the big things in this game that you don't find anywhere else? Where you as the DM and the person who's running it also get challenged and you have to navigate obstacles on your own. It, being a DM, and this is getting closer to why I feel like being a DM is a pretty tiresome task, even though we, as, as the, whatever the personality, now, whatever the, whatever the personality types are that you want to designate you and I as that actually like to put ourselves through this pain um, <laughs> is, is that it goes both ways. It's a two way street. Tabletop is very much a two way street. The players very much have to be engaged as what they bring to the tabletop challenges the DM because there have been a number of times where I'm running a scenario of some sort and they kind of like give a hint at an idea or they think out of the box much more than I do. <laughs> and then I'm like, that's a good idea. I'm running with it. And I'm not telling you that I'm okay, that uh, that wasn't in the plan to begin with. <laughs> in which, here's the thing. No GM, no dungeon master, no game master is omnipotent. And if they are, no. they have to be like 
a person that has been there since edition one of whatever fucking game you're playing because that happens so much and I have yet to meet a DM that says like, nope, I've never had an idea that my players brought that I've incorporated. No, it's it's all a collaboration. Everybody's ideas are mixing together into making a really awesome story experience. That part is the part that is super rewarding to me and I have stories 100%. that I have run in the past that I still think of to this day. It's just like, damn, that was really good. That was a lot of fun. And that's the kind of thing that makes me kind of keep coming back to put myself through this punishment is maybe <laughs> I can get another one of these kinds of experiences again. Maybe I can get that flood of serotonin that carries me months <laughs> and years after and stuff, in which I can probably do a few like anecdotal stories about what I've run in the past that I'm just like, even today, I still think back to it and I just go like, yeah, that was the shit. <laughs> so... I do have two anecdotal stories I want to tell. All right, this is story this is... time, everybody. But, but, story time. Oh. <laughs> is, is that the segment noise now? I guess. But, uh, cause I, I am, uh, I am self-serving enough that I'm willing to tell these stories. So, <clears throat> Um, the first one is very brief. Um, I referenced earlier in one of my Pathfinder 1E games, um, the player's, uh, we're running a rebellion in the nation of Cheliax to thwart the evil empire. Now, this was actually a pre-written, um, like, campaign that Pathfinder yeah. puts out. And, you know, whenever I do these, I always alter them in my own ways. Mm-hmm. But I, I tend to use them as kind of like a loose guideline. Well, this one... It's a guideline. And then one of the players gave me a backstory. And when Ooh. I read that backstory... I completely changed how the campaign was going to end. Oh. Um, because their backstory was basically like they were this failed mage and in an experiment they tried to scry out the signet ring that would only fit upon the true heir of the nation. And then they learned that that signet ring was not in fact on the hand of the queen who was running the nation but hidden away in a vault. And because of that, the inquisition of this nation started hunting their ass down. And that's oh. why they, like, became a rebel. And I was like, that's genius! <laughs> Guess what y'all's quest is now? Like, and I didn't tell them that for a long yeah. time until I had the Inquisition find them. And finally this player revealed the info and the whole campaign changed. Because originally it was just set in this one city. And then once that happened, they were like, fuck. We can actually, like, free this nation. Like, originally their goal was just this their city. And they're like we can actually do this, guys. If we can get this ring, we can upset everything. And so, like, that one bit of backstory, that that one bit of backstory that somebody gave me just because they were like, oh, this would be fun, completely changed everything. Now, the other story, a little more anecdotal, um, but it's it's very fun for me. I love telling this story. It was my very first time DMing. Mm-hmm. And I was going to DM a game, uh, another Pathfinder written module called um, Carrion Crown. And Ooh. the whole thing is supposed to be a spooky game. It's, you know, horror themed, all has to do with undead and vampires and eldritch horrors and whatnot. Well, Boy. the day we were going to run it, two players had to miss it. And so oh. my buddy was like, hey, how about instead, you know, you just run a little, like, test module, like, you know, so we can kind of get used to your DM style, you know. It could just be a little one-off. It'll deal with our characters, but it'll be before the game actually starts. So I was like, cool, fine. 
So I set something up. I'm proud of it. The players get into the town, and they hear that animals have been dying. And I think that they're just going to kind of hang around and talk. And then, of course, the paladin in the party goes, fuck that, I'm going to investigate. You all want to come with me? And I'm just like, shit. Because I had planned for zombies to attack the town, not for the players to start hunting down the source from the start. So I'm like, yeah, 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 we could do that. Sweat dripping down. Like, I've ruined my shirt already. I'm, like, rapidly setting up maps because it's through Roll20. You know, it's not, like, on a battle map, like, where you can just kind of, like, dry erase a new map instantly. Like, uh-huh. I had to, like, look up maps. I'm, like, looking up stats for monsters. Like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. And I ended up creating an entire session on the fly by the seat of my pants. And... <laughs> The players were, like, eating it up, not knowing that they I am literally laying down the tracks as the train is barreling down. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That That's a, I mean, that's one of those things where, it, it, especially looking back on it, you kind of say, like, wow, I had that in me. I could do it. You know? Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. I guess it's my turn for story time then. So Please do. I'll just I feel share... like I'm talking a lot. I want I want some you time. Yeah. So I'll share like the highlights of that first campaign that I DM'd with Pathfinder once I got my hands on the core rulebook in that module. Mm-hmm. So it was a pirate adventure kind of thing. Um, everybody kind of got like. Uh, press ganged into a pirate ship and stuff. They were like Skull on a tra- they were on a traveling vessel, and then you know, yo ho ho, your property is my property now. Mm-hmm. And the, the, um, I guarantee the campaign was Skull and Shackles. I know that one way too well. Anyway, sorry. Damn, you really are a nerd. <laughs> I am. That's exactly <laughs> which one it is. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorites. Sorry, it is a good one. It, it's a good like foundation for everything. There's no, I no wonder they sell it, right? So, oh yeah, it sells like crazy. Yeah, so we had a good time with that. And basically, the way the thing was is uh, everybody kind of like did their duties and stuff. They were like trying to play the part on the pirate ship, but they what they were doing on the side is they were planning a mutiny. And they, <laughs> there is a guy on the ship. I think he's one of the characters that they kind of give you. He's like his name's like Owl Bear or something. They call him out Al- mm-hmm. the Owl Bear. And I gave him an Arnold Schwarzenegger voice, <laughs> and they absolutely loved it. And uh, so he was like one of their secret allies, and they were like all waiting and biding their time. And then finally, they um, uh, took down the captain and his loyal crew mem- crewmates against them and their loyal crewmates, uh, or the mutiny crew- crewmates, and they took him down, and then they took control of the ship. All through this, we had one person in our party who, I guess you could say they're a little thirsty. <laughs> he, I, I teased that there was this, like, hot redhead chick who was the one who kind of like gave them the idea of um uh doing the mutiny they're like well you know there's been rumblings and stuff people aren't quite happy with the captain and i think if we really put into this and stuff and you know he's like yeah but like your hair smells good you know he didn't actually say that but like but like that's the kind of swooning he was having over her and so i i was a prick over this one i uh, kind of like dragged him along and with that whole thing and like catfished him with it. And it was always like, 
they always had to meet at night and he was always like really close to touching her or holding hands with her but you know she wouldn't allow it and then um as they were sailing and she was kind of like helping them navigate and stuff they get to a an island with ruins on it and it turns out that she's like this spirit that's attached to artifacts that that captain plundered and once they returned it and had like a boss fight against some undead um you know her spirit could be at rest and so it's like <laughs> the girlfriend the girlfriend you thought you had was never real to begin with oh you you're oh, evil oh my god oh so, my god <laughs> i don't know if you caught it but i know that character well uh her name is Sindara Quinn uh i've both yeah. played in Skull and Shackles and ran Skull and Shackles um when I played in it, I was actually playing two characters at the time, and I was playing the role of a healer, and uh, we had switched campaigns partway through and decided to do this one instead, and some hand-wavy mm-hmm. things happened to explain why we were there, mm-hmm. and I was going to leave my old healer behind and make a new one, and the GM approached me and was like, hey, you know, there's actually a healer character who's an NPC, would you want to just play that character? So I ended up playing Sendara Quinn. Oh. And so when you said... <laughs> That he was like, oh, your hair smells nice. I felt myself, like, tense. (laughs) Just on instinct, I was like, get away. (laughs) Like, my flight or fight. Dude, it was actually creepy how, like, he was just immediately, like, female once. You know, like, as soon as she was, like, an NPC that was on the table, this dude was, like, licking his lips. Of course, I'm being hyperbolic, but... Someone was swooning, and everybody else at the uh, at the table was just like along for the ride, happy to have fun. Uh, I, you know, I had one person that was just like, "I'm only here for Owlbear. <laughs> and I swear <laughs> hey, to God, Owlbear's a great character. And I swear to God, if something happens to Owlbear or he dies, I'm going to take this whole ship with me. <laughs> <laughs> so. If he dies, I'm going to first kill all of you and then myself, (laughs) to quote the Brooklyn Nine-Nine meme. (laughs) So, um, that's one of my uh, proud ones that uh, I, I, you know, it's your first one, right? Yeah, of course. And then, um, the other one that I still think back to today, just more or less as, like, a testament of, like, my ability to pull things together and have a consistent group was when I played Wildstar, and we had a Dominion uh, roleplay group. Uh, we were a part of the Empire. Uh, my character was uh, a Makari uh, warrior who was named Tacitus, and he was in service to one of the noble houses um, uh, uh, that's in the Empire. Or, sorry, the Dominion. So we went through this whole thing, and it was like, a uh, an ancient alien kind of situation where they had like this weird infective presence that they spread because like their body or like their ship crashed on Nexus like thousands of years ago and in the crash their body in this tomb ship got split up and that's why it has like this um, like amorphous uh, thing like um, infectious quality to it. Mm-hmm. And the reason I, I, I keep thinking about it is because, A, I saw that one from start to end, completed, not just it got dropped. So we, I actually completed that one, and I love that when I can get to completion, respectively. <laughs> and then 
um, the thing was is that on one of the big like first boss fights we had with one of the components of this ancient alien god being is uh, it had turned into or it had assumed the form of like a sandworm and it was wreaking havoc. Uh, like once it, it broke containment and stuff and it was starting to like cause trouble and they're like, oh, we got mobilize Autobots and go and handle it. And that was a, oh my God, I think that was like an eight person session. I had oh, so geez. many fucking people there and I had to up the ante on the fly. And so it's like a big sandworm and we had like two or three, three people acting as tanks on it and they were up in its face while other people were trying to um like range it down and i uh i had a, a an ability for it that i called bile spew so it just you know blah, acid everywhere oh, yeah. and it just fun. poured it all over the tanks and w- canonically one of the tanks in response to that just went it is everywhere it's in my suit is everywhere <laughs> it fucking killed me and i still think about it to this day and, and like at the end of that too everybody's like oh my god that was so fucking fun thank you for you know like running this for us and stuff it was like the first big um for that guild it was like our first big like story encounter and stuff too uh-huh. so i mean that's another reason why i feel really good about it. it's just like everybody received it well everybody had fun um, it was like a really good start to like not only our journey into Wildstar, may it rest in peace, and like kind of like the inauguration for our guild. So that's really cool too. And then um, I've had some really good ones in Final Fantasy, but I don't want to take up too much time with even more stories just about you know <laughs> my stories that I've made for you know these like light tabletop systems that I've done in MMOs and and so real quick about that too is that whenever I do DM these kinds of things in MMOs I do it to for more for the storytelling aspect and I don't focus so much on like a system because I feel like that can slow down a game a lot and I've had some people kind of complain about in the past which uh in hindsight shitty complaint to make because I like there to be a rule system in place to prevent people from doing god mode. Especially exactly. in a especially in an MMO setting because there are no rules. The rules are whatever the group agrees upon, right? So Yeah. Um, you know, stuff like that's really nice. And then that's kind of what makes me makes it a little bit difficult for me to try and like run or go back to a game for normal pen and paper because then it's like, oh fuck, I gotta read up on all these rules i gotta figure out what it is i'm already the person who's like running a crusade for warhammer and i had to learn how warhammer's fucking crusade system works because my friend never (laughs) does anything i was like oh my god (sighs) well bran in the event that you ever do want to try again and i have free space i can promise you this um, I know Pathfinder is a crunchy system, and for mm-hmm. those who don't know what crunchy means, uh, a lot of numbers, a lot of dice rolling. However, I know the system like the back of my hand. I have several house rules that make it easier, and furthermore, I like taking in new pro- new players, and I have no problem stopping and going, okay, this is how it works, this is what you need to roll. I, I'm not one of those DMs that's like, you didn't study your character sheet? Well, tough titties, bitch, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Ugh. Like, I don't like that. I, the way I see it, we're all here to have fun. Would yeah. I prefer that you know your character sheet? Sure. 
But I also know that if you don't have that knowledge already, it doesn't matter if you have your character sheet, you might as well be reading Latin, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I have a a a player who's joined my group recently who is the uh, younger cousin of a more veteran player of mine. Mm-hmm. And they're they're more of a 5e player, which 5e is a lot simpler in many ways than Pathfinder. Real quick, I, I after playing both 5e and Pathfinder, I like how how streamlined 5e is just as far as like game feel goes. Um, but uh, I mean, again, my my experience with that kind of thing is kind of limited in comparison. Yeah, and very quickly, um, I agree with you. 5e is a lot more streamlined. I do like Pathfinder's customization more, though, and mm-hmm. how much more it encourages customization. Which that is the that is the prevailing um, that is the prevailing matter between those yeah. two. I hear just like in general between communities. Yes, um, but anyway, this player, you know, while she does have a grasp on 5e, she struggles sometimes with some of the other terms of Pathfinder and. You know, it doesn't matter that she's been playing in my games for months. I'm not going to sit there and be like, you know, Leo, you really should know what's going on by now. Instead, I'm going to stop mm-hmm. and be like, okay, this is how that works. You know, this is what you can do. You know, hey, have you thought about using this ability? Yeah, you haven't really used it yet. Oh, how does that work? Well, it actually works like this. Yeah. You know? And that is what I think a DM's job should be. You know, yeah, you know, you're there to tell the story and it would be nice if your players knew everything but they're not always going to know everything. And yeah. if you want the game to actually be fun, you need to be willing to take that teaching role. Um, yeah. Unless and... you're specifically advertising for a game only for veterans, <clears throat> in which case, sure, fine, whatever. But if you're trying to get five or however many friends together to run a game, not all of them are going to know the game. You need to be ready to teach. Otherwise, mm-hmm. all you're going to do is convince them that tabletop uh, is just as bad as media sometimes makes it out to be. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, um, you know, and it just in general, like, just thinking about humans and what an adult has to endure from a day-to-day basis, you're not going to be on top of it all the time either. And you know what? I, uh, I, I think at this point, if I were to get back into doing um, sessions on the regular, I think I would be more prepared for it at this point because Warhammer is so fucking bogged down with rules and rules lawyering that, um, I mean, like... There's a reason why you should probably have one or two armies and not a whole lot more than that. Because you need to study your codex. Studying your codex for Warhammer is almost the equivalent of studying your character sheet and understanding your class. Because your Mm -hmm. army is your class. Your army is your character. And especially in a crusade standpoint, it literally is. And even though you have smaller characters that are participating in that, you know... it, it. it's still the spirit of the game and then you're role playing it out and and all that good stuff right now the crusade that i'm trying to run with my buddy on the side here is a um there is a sisters of battle uh monastery that got called to uh help a planet that was dealing with a an uprising of weird ab humans and stuff it's like why are all the mutants suddenly bothering us and wanting to overthrow the government and then they find out why 
It's aliens. It's the Tyranids. It was a bunch of gene stealers that caused it. And a hive tendril heard their call and came to the planet. And now it's a Tyranid invasion. So we're engaging in a story of humanity trying to fight off a very dangerous and very um, numerous alien threat. And um, my friend, because we talked about this beforehand too, because I wanted to be sure... I wanted to be the teacher. I wanted to be like, hey, do you understand everything? We we need to go over crusade stuff. And then I asked him finally, I'm like, how do you want this story to go? And I wasn't saying that to like predetermine things. But what he said is, and this is one of the reasons why getting feedback from the players is so great. He said, you know what? Because most humans in the galaxy don't know what a Tyranid is or what a Gene Stealer is, I'm going to let your characters name my characters based on the engagements that they have together. Because, that, that oh my god, that's exactly how it would play out in real time. Like, oh yeah, there's old One-Eye. The old One-Eye survived that, you know, frack grenade to the face and now it only has one eye or whatever. You know, shit like yeah. that. You can get into just as much role-playing with something like that, too, and, and everything, so. I don't know what point I was getting to at that, but <laughs> that was fun to talk about. <laughs> Hell yeah, no, it's, that. that's the whole thing. That's the whole thing Tabletop is, and it's a thing that I think both players and GMs often forget. And this isn't like me saying, you know, every group forgets this. You know, this is in truth a small subset, but it is still forgotten enough to be brought up. It is collaborative storytelling for both Mm -hmm. the players and the DM. Because that is another thing. There's some players that are like, no, I don't care what story you're wanting to tell. I'm going to do it my way. And, you know, like if I've dealt with players like that that have like, enjoyed the thought of trying to derail things and not for the sake of like you know let's open up this new avenue but just like you know haha what if i stab this guy yeah those people are because it's not fun those people are a pant load they they have one brain cell that just rattles around in there they're the people who just all they do with the sims is remove the ladders (laughs) yeah i mean that is exactly the uh personality type that does that kind of thing and um i did have people that were kind of like that but i've also had hilarious things too and you know what there's a reason that it's a joke where people are like well i want to seduce the dragon there are people that will try and seduce anything and oh. just be that's the that's another great thing about tabletop is that roll for it see if you can do it see if you I, uh, seduce that orc guard now you got a new boyfriend <laughs> i i in one game i ran um the group of players were tasked with uh taking over a fort and they found a bunch of bandits there but one of the bandits um was an orc, which his clan was known for loving challenges and then always honoring the results of those challenges. And so one of the players got the bright idea. They were like, what if we challenge you? And this orc was the leader of the bandits. And they were like, what if we challenge you to a game? And if you win, you have to hand over the fort to us. If you you win, we'll hand over all of our gear and money. They were Mm -hmm. like, okay. And so they challenged him. To a game of rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> and the orc was like, okay. And he lost. 
he lost, and he was honor-bound to give them the fort. And so through a game of rock, paper, fucking scissors, they completely upended the entire quest I did and won the fort. And I was like, you know what? Fine. (laughs) Fine. Because they were all so proud of themselves and so happy, and I was like, would it be more satisfying for them to have to fight for this? Sure. But that would also completely cheapen everything if I went back on it like that. So you know what? Fine. Yeah. You won the damn fort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like sometimes, you know, whenever you get... If, if you're in a DM's chair and you see something like that chance happen and you decide to honor it, I mean, it, it's just like, it happened. There you go. I, I, I Fate decided, fate ordained that, um, you know, these results happened and... It, it, it's it's worth it. I know sometimes it can be really silly, but whenever those things succeed, the joy that the players get is awesome. And, and you know what? Uh, yeah. Three years later, they still reference that. So <laughs> that's great. Hey, so real quick, uh, um, before we uh, head off here into our next campaign, um, there is one more aspect of tabletop in general that. Um, I would like to touch on and it's just another thing of just what I like what I appreciate about it is okay I have actually it's it's a little bit of a unique situation to me because uh go figure I'm also an artist I I draw things on a tablet and it looks pretty good um (laughs) and uh I have had a number of clients just commission me to make uh art of their D&D characters and Seeing the ideas that people come up with just in general and, like, they get put out on, you know, all the different art websites or on Twitter and stuff like that, people have some really awesome ideas and they get a a hold of really good talent to execute on those ideas. And it actually ends up surprising me because I'm like, shoot, I... uh, If I was left to my own devices, I would only be drawing girls uh, (laughs) 24-7, but... Then, you know, a few people like, oh, I want you to draw my aura that I'm using and doing, you know, some role play with. Or, hey, I, I want you to draw my uh, Genasi or my, um, what was another one? I had a, a changeling. And I'm like, okay. And holy crap. I'm like, hey, I can make some very pretty boys. <laughs> <laughs> I could draw some pretty, very pretty boys. And so seeing the art. And that visual creativity come out from tabletop is really refreshing, really fun. And I I super appreciate it just because, you know, of the hobbies that I do and the things that I end up creating as well and what people have commissioned me to do in the past and stuff, too. So um, we'll do a little bit of like a, a little like slideshow at the end of this showing off some of the works that I've done. Um, just to kind of give some context to all that and stuff too. Yeah. It, By the way, it's it, going to be yeah. really awkward if that is not edited in. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, personally, I well, I guess I have had the equivalent of my characters that I do tabletop role play with um, done and commissioned and stuff too. I've forked oh, yeah. over money for that because I, guess I what? People so put much so money. much. People put so much value into it. it it's it's their babies. It, it, respectively, they 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 spend a lot of time with them sometimes. Hundred percent. I have so much art of both characters and important NPCs for my campaigns that I have had done. 
Mm-hmm. And it, it's all super valuable, and it's actually one of my favorite things about the recent resurgence of tabletop in the media is how much money the freelance artists can now get. And I'm not saying that, you know, y'all artists are just, like, rolling in it, like, yeah, you know. But there's been a lot more opportunity for a lot of artists that I know because of the resurgence of this hobby um, than they would have had otherwise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, there's some people with their portfolios are just littered with character art. It, it's almost all they do because people just they they're like, take my money. I this is my baby. Take my money. Make them look pretty and or uh, as disgusting as I want. I I see them to be, you know. Sure. So, it, it, it yeah, it's great. It's great, and it's just it, it's a really good like bookend on the whole like tabletop experience overall too is you know that 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 is proof of just how deep um tabletop goes for some people and yeah i don't know how anybody could be upset or mad about it and the people who usually are are people that have no idea what they're talking about and yeah i mean i know it came out with satanic panic and all that other crap but um it's just imagination at the end of the day, it's imagination, and anybody who wants to poo-poo on imagination, um, I'm going to flush them down the toilet. There you go. Well, you yeah. might have to roll a dexterity check to see if you can fit them down there first. Yeah. And, and yeah, at the end of the day, you know, sometimes the sessions that you have, it's the things you look back on. You're like, yeah, you know, the party laughed, the DM laughed, even the couch is laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wait. The couch laugh? Uh oh. 